Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hey everyone, in this episode, I'm sharing with you a transmission about Pluto and the lunar nodes. This is something that I shared as an IG Live last April. And Pluto is one of my planetary teachers. The direct experience in life, the direct Pluto school, um, is about transformation. It's about understanding the nature of our deepest attachments and the ways that we um, psychologically respond to feeling disempowered or feeling like the thing that we value the most has gotten ripped away from us, right? or how we, um, how we lean into our desire. I experience desire as like this ongoing series of births, right? Like the thing that I desire, I am, a parts of myself die to it. Like every time I meet the raw vulnerability in this existence of having my desires manifest into form, of living out my dreams, I die to them. There's a rebirth that happens and there's a emergence of new desires. And so this becomes a path of evolution, right? Like we propel ourselves forward in this life from desire to desire to desire until ultimately we have no desires left. And so this is speaking of a multi-lifetime reincarnating many times. No desire left than to be one with source. So getting this download, this kind of cosmological vision that goes alongside evolutionary astrology, this found me when I was 21 years old, and it became something that I developed alongside of. It gave me permission at that, you know, very fascinating age, that Uranus, first Uranus square, um, that it enabled me to see my life as a series of initiations that I could say yes to, right? And to start to inquire into the nature of my resistance, the things that I have a lot of charge around, right? To inquire into the way that I invest energy, how I want to direct my life force, um, what fascinates me, what my desires are, and what happens if I live a life in relationship to that. Because to live in relationship with our desire is to make love to life, right? Like to be detached from our desire, there's a way that we we wander in life and we don't feel that connected, that intimate, right? And desire is so vulnerable to hold. It can be painful to hold the depth of wanting to experience love in chapters of life where we feel separate from the beloved, It can be vulnerable to want things. And yet it is the very force of desire that inspires us to grow, to expand past our current limitations. I'm going to be teaching evolutionary astrology again this February 2023. 
It's the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive running again, but under a new name, Dragon of the Moon and Evolutionary Astrology Initiation. Dragon of the Moon being an homage to the lunar nodes, which relate to a dragon. And also giving it this new name to really reflect the alchemical nature of the container, the way that this has been a really transformative experience for the several hundred students who have passed through its doors, that spending several months together in this intimate container, meeting together weekly, going over these teachings, really understanding the archetypes at this level that we connect to them ourselves emotionally so that you can start to feel the planets and the signs and develop your technical skill in relationship with your intuition, right? So that you don't have to look things up in books all of the time, though I love book learning, you know, but that you can have your own channel of being able to perceive Aries in your environment or to feel like an astrological energy emanating from a person you're in conversation with because you just, you recognize the energetic patterns. You haven't even seen their chart to start to see reality with that x-ray lens, if you will. And it's an alchemical container as well because these teachings are designed to connect you with the planets, right? These bodies, these beings in the sky that we are connected to. Astrology is a practice of remembrance and awakening to being part of the cosmos. So not only are we forming a relationship to these powerful planets, but we're also inquiring into the question of who we are at a soul level and starting to understand our life's dramas, our personality in conversation with the desire nature of the soul so that we can look at, you know, there's something within evolutionary astrology that's focused on Pluto and the lunar nodes. Pluto relates to the soul the lunar nodes relate to these vehicles of personality that the soul works with in relationship to its desire nature. And so what I've come to understand in my practice with evolutionary astrology and just seeing how it lands in my own being, navigating with it, um, is that personality is not the deepest part of who we are, but personality informs our karma, right? Like the behavior patterns that I enact, my personality structures create a response and reaction in the field of reality, right? It gives me feedback. And the way I internalize this feedback, make sense of it, and continue to act as a personality continues to either keep me in the loop of some kind of karmic patterning that I'm in, right? Like doing the same thing, getting similar results. Or if we shift our personality if we unravel parts of our personality that aren't even true, they're just something that we picked up as an you know, adaptation to our circumstances, then the soul has different terrain to move through, right? Like we could think about someone who um, doesn't leave the house a lot, right? And so... I'm, I can be like that. I love my hermit existence and I go in and out of these like phases of being really hermity. I need time actually, like as a writer, um, to be alone. Right. And so 
There's an experience that's engendered by staying home alone for long periods of time. Maybe one's inner world grows with a certain depth, um, or they get a lot of art done, right? But the experiences that will be born of, say, meeting people and having relationships or being part of communities, that's going to be a different experience for the soul to um, go out into the world, right? And so <clears throat> the natal chart actually speaks to these patterns of how we've engaged reality, how we've been, and the wisdom school of evolutionary astrology is getting a deeper understanding of these patterns and what these patterns create. What does it mean if a person has acted in a Gemini fashion for many lifetimes? What has that facilitated, right? And what has maybe been not part of the story as much? And through gaining this insight, we can then even become experimental in our lives in terms of developing archetypes that signify expansion for us or that signify some connection to our destiny. Right? Like we just gain this sophisticated map of contemplating the theater of our existence. And so I've found this to be a really profound adventure. Like not only am I living a life where I'm fairly entertained and interested in my dramas and intrigues that I live, but I think about them at this kind of detached astrological level and that detachment or this system helps me make different choices or make more intelligent choices at key points in the drama and the plot points of my life. Um, and that's just something that turns me on in this existence is that sense of having a map and of being like a philosopher of how to live um, and astrology being an ally for me in that way. I think it's a grand adventure and I love to invite other people into it to have access to this life-transforming language. Um, and so this is for anyone who is wanting to go deeper into astrology and evolutionary astrology specifically. Maybe you're called to the class because you resonate with my transmissions and my work, this podcast, the forecast. Maybe you're called to it because you're a practicing astrologer already in some other form, like Hellenistic, and you want to learn EA. Um, Whatever calls you, you're feeling that pull to go deeper into evolutionary astrology, um, to learn directly with a teacher. I am there for my students. Um, it's not like there are pre-recorded parts of the class um, that you can return to for life. But we meet live every week to talk about it and to go deeper, to apply the concepts. And it's the live calls and forming a relationship with my students in real time that's really important to me as a teacher because having dialogue about the archetypes and forming literacy through that dialogue together is I feel like what really brings it home and also for the technical aspects of the practice, like where we get stuck because it's hard to learn these things ourselves from a book. Um, that's where it's great to have a teacher. So if you're feeling called to Go deeper into astrology with me with an amazing community. Um, follow the link in the notes for Dragon of the Moon and Evolutionary Astrology Initiation to learn more and apply. Before we get into this introductory teaching on Pluto and the lunar nodes and the cosmology of evolutionary astrology, 
I want to share another opportunity that's coming up to connect. I'm hosting a live guided visualization event to close out 2022 together called Pulse of Eros, Reclaiming the Dream. This is a ritual that will take place in our inner vision. Right? Like visualization is a really powerful tool that I've come to have a relationship with. I do see it as Plutonic as well because Pluto is about how we merge and connect with that which is beyond and to connect with an image in a deep way in a kind of like self-hypnotic state can create magic. Um, Visualization has been something that has been a big part of my life. This ritual occurs in our inner vision to call back home to ourselves places that we've strayed into fantasy of what could have, should have been. It's one thing to grieve, but it's another to believe that life slipped us by. The moments or seasons that we've caught of profound fulfillment and resonance with our lives were birthed out of being present, being connected to the pulse of Eros. In these moments, our visions of perfection and paradise matched our material circumstances. This is something that writing Hungry Ghosts of Paradise, it's been a big theme that I've been processing and working with this year of recycling past visions of, you know, what was amazing or what should have been, what was meant to be, and the ways that it's become this ideal, you know, and one has then fallen out of grace, fallen out of paradise. And that's a painful place to be in. And I know firsthand what it's like to be there. So we've taken the risk to open and to say yes to our desires in the past. But when we've watched them disintegrate before our eyes, it's painful. There was something on the line we felt invested in, attached to, something we hoped for. And yet, as a point of energetic hygiene, as a point of reconnection with life, we will take the time to come back home to ourselves, to return stray and lost fantasies to the original energetic of desire, where they can be recycled into life's next ecstasy. The pulse of Eros in the now, the present alive Eros. This visualization event is for anyone who feels the call to bring more of their desire back online and to affirm that life is happening now. So this is kind of like an energy clearing visualization or a soul reclamation visualization to call back the parts of ourselves that are invested in these side channels or these theoretical, like, what if life had gone that other direction, the attachment to that, Um, and to bring it back into the present because that's what will help us live our life now. This is December 30th at 1 p.m. Pacific. It will be live. The recording will be available to those who register. It's only $22. You can find the link in the notes and sign up and join as well. And one other thing, this um, transmission that was originally an IG Live, I meant to share it to the podcast back then, and I didn't because I didn't like the sound quality. And I went back to listen to it, um, and I was like, this is lit. (laughs) I love this transmission. Um, Not a fan of the sound quality per se, but you've bared with me before on this podcast as I've had ups and downs with sound quality, and I appreciate that. Um, 
it's just experimenting with different mics and and whatnot but forgive me sound quality could be better um, but I wanted to bring this to the podcast because I um, thought it was full of a lot of good teachings about Pluto on the lunar nodes and as a great introduction to evolutionary astrology so I'm gonna leave it here and um I'll be posting this also on Instagram. Leave a comment on the post there if you have any thoughts about this episode, any questions about Pluto and the lunar nodes or evolutionary astrology that you'd like me to answer. Um, but I would love to hear from you. So my Instagram is Sabrina Monarch. It's just that. <laughs> no other spellings. There's still that Instagram scammer issue of fake accounts. Just Sabrina Monarch. Um, you can find me there and interact with me there. And I will... Leave us to the transmission now. Hello, welcome. Let me know if my sound is okay. So good to see you. Thank you for coming. I'm recording it um, on my computer as well, just in case. Just in case it gets, you know, put on magic of the spheres. So just going to have a moment here for people to arrive. I'm really excited about this transmission um, in part because I didn't prepare like a bunch of notes or a bunch of like structure for this. I'm intending to come into this space of talking about Pluto on the lunar nodes from the deep decade-long well of my self-conscious relationship with these bodies and to just let it be natural, let it be connected to the space that we're creating together. So simply your presence, your tuning in is part of this transmission. If you have thoughts um, that you want to share in the comments at any point, questions, feel free to do that. Um, but simply your being here, your tuning in um, past, not past, you haven't tuned in from the past, maybe you have in some, some way. Being here presently or tuning in in the future, this is influencing what is going to come through in this space, right? Pluto is all about energy exchange after all. So I want to start out, I think what will be grounding for us is to talk about the kind of cosmological vision of reality that this form of astrology situates us within, right? Because we're looking at Pluto on the lunar nodes and they're talking about past lives, okay? So we're starting with a reincarnation-based vision of the human experience. And the quality, you know, of this existence, of being here, is that it's kind of like we're in this school, earth school, if you will. And we have many lifetimes to perfect these thesis uh, statements, these projects, these um, grand masterpieces that we're creating. Any given lifetime, we're just working on a small fraction of our soul's journey, really. And the 
process of coming in here into this earth life in an incarnate temporary form, part of the game we're playing is that we forget a lot of our past life experiences or we forget about who we are as a soul. We kind of enter into the the avatar, you know, of this being, except for those of us that are interested in studying things like past lives, are interested in communicating with the soul. There is then you know, it's like phoning home to a deeper version of yourself. And we have the capacity to do that, but not all people are interested. In fact, some people are deeply creeped out by it. Um, for me, when I experience synchronicity or magic or feel the universe winking at me, you know, uncanny, unbelievable things happen, I'm excited. I'm exhilarated. I've talked to people that um, are living slightly more conventional lives or in a more conventional worldview. And if I tell them any of these mystical, you know, bizarre things that have occurred, their reaction is to kind of jump and be like, well, that's scary, you know? So think about this quality where some souls come here and are just, you know, blinders on in the game, in this incarnation, maybe also being in part of a different cosmology where, you know, this is our one life and then there's an afterlife, heaven or hell, depending on how good we did here, right? So there's different ways of participating. Then some of us are curious about who we may have been in the past and why when we have, you know, maybe a psychological irritant come up in this life, it feels like it has maybe an accordion of some kind of backlog that goes beyond this lifetime, right? It comes from a series of lives. So to back up a little bit, the idea of the soul and its multi-lifetime journey is essentially that we come from source and we will return to source, right? So all of us are each other, and at a earth level, at an incarnation personality level, I'm not always operating at that state of total oneness. I definitely identify as an individual and interact with other individuals, some of whom I love, some of whom I'm attracted to, some of whom I have connection to, some of whom really annoy me and I don't want to have anything to do with them, right? So that idea of like, we're all one is at times a platitude, right? Like it's not the experience that we're just tapped into um, all of the time. But if we're going to look at it and zoom way, way, way out, yes, we all come from the same source. The idea of source is just that. It is God, but not like the... Um, you know, humanized God that's like a man in the sky kind of God. It's just that concept of the source from which all things come from and will return to. We could also look at it like the ocean, okay? And then the soul is this desire nature from God, from the universe itself, to have these experiences of being a separate, distinct, incarnate individual. From that desire within the mind or within the heart of source comes these emanations of source, these temporary forms, right? This lifetime, the idea of the soul within evolutionary astrology, which is going to connect to Pluto, we'll get there, is that the soul is this actually distinct being, right? Like I am a soul. I am a soul who is currently Sabrina Monarch, 
right in this lifetime, but I've been other people. I will be other people, but it's the same soul. And the soul goes through the embodiment of many different lifetimes until the desire to be separate from source is fully exhausted. There's an idea, you know, of getting to that kind of enlightenment stage or the nirvana stage, that uh, quality of being deeply spiritual, spiritually realized. And what I love about having been working with evolutionary astrology and working with Pluto is that even though there is this bigger picture trajectory of, you know, having many lifetimes until the desire to be separate from source is fully exhausted, the path work of doing that spiritual journeying, of doing that earthly um, humaning is divided up into many small quests, right? And it comes down to desire, which brings us to Pluto. Pluto is about our desire nature, right? So in the natal chart, Pluto speaks to the overarching themes of our desire nature, the things that we've been working on for a series of relevant lifetimes, um, not necessarily our most recent past lifetimes, but the kind of deck of cards we're working with. So, So the lifetimes that this lifetime has an echo to, if that makes sense. Right. Like we have countless past lifetimes and we're not working with all of them. Every single lifetime has been my understanding. So Pluto relates to this core level desire nature. And within evolutionary astrology, the idea is to, uh, you know, there's no way out but through. We're going to keep reincarnating. Right. And it's interesting how cosmological systems provide this kind of um what's the word like moral urgency, right? Like within a Judeo-Christian kind of cosmological standpoint where our deeds here relate to what afterlife we're granted into that sets up the kind of, well, I should be good or I should behave so that I get to go to heaven kind of way of living. Whereas with this, with Pluto, with this idea of reincarnation, it's like, okay, whatever complexes that I avoid in this lifetime aren't going anywhere when I die. They will carry over into my next life, right? And so for me, that hasn't, um, that's had this way of being kind of freeing in some sense of like, not everything needs to be figured out. And what am I waiting for? What am I putting off? Because ultimately I'm just you know, procrastinating until the next lifetime. So let me get clear about what my journey is, what my dharma is, what is my set of things to work out and work through in this lifetime and lean in fully to the adventure of that. So when it comes to desire, right, I'm speaking a lot of like these bigger kind of concepts and um, I will be continually weaving it in, but let me know, like write down at some point if you have questions. So our job with Pluto in this kind of system is to lean into our desires as well as to let desires go. So some desires, um, well, all desire is really a catalyst for evolution. Some desires get to be realized and there's certainly a sense of like redemptive magic in that. Like, you know, when you want something, you go for it and you have this really magical experience of having desired something and having received it. And it's gratifying, right? And I'm not talking about 
extractive, grabby, just getting what you want and who cares about the consequences, that's a different story. I'm talking about like the vulnerable, deep, tender thing and actually receiving it. Like there's a kind of spiritualization that can occur in that. Um, So we either go towards certain desires or we learn to let them go, right? So Pluto has this steamy kind of like fire and water energy to it of like this internal cauldron of desire and angst and the thing we want really badly and the way we don't think we can have it. And just this like tumultuous cauldron of the, the deep material that we're working with. Right. So this is going to be a unique story for everyone. I can certainly share. And I feel like I've exposed myself many times in terms of like my personal shares on like the podcast, around what kind of things have compelled me at a soul level and what it's like to to really wrestle and reckon and work with one's own desire nature. Because the thing with Pluto is that desire that doesn't get, you know, worked with consciously or, um, you know, desire that's not claimed, a desire that's not owned often comes out, you know, when it's repressed, it can come out in these kind of distorted ways. Um, and that's where I think a lot of our, our kind of spiritual sayings about how desires, the root of suffering kind of comes from, right. Or like desire in some sense brings us deeper into existing here. It's not about transcendence to transcend desire, to kind of go upward and kind of, um, renounce, you know, the needs of the flesh or renounce the attachments um, and kind of go into that like more detached upward realm. That can be beneficial in certain circumstances, right? But that action isn't the same as going down and in, incarnating, right? Pluto has a lot of this theme about the hunger for existence, the hunger to be here, the very way that as a soul, we resonated with two beings that were conceiving life in this moment of erotic union, um, a variety of different types of circumstances, right? Not every union is the same, but at this moment of conception, a soul, like a being (laughs) that hasn't incarnated here resonating with that. And that's like the wave, right? So we can philosophize about different times in which the soul jumps into the body and whatnot. But I like to use that image of just thinking about, yeah, there's this moment of erotic sexual union that creates life and the soul jumps into that. And then we're here, the soul fused with the body, right? And we have these daily, weekly, monthly, yearly desires. I want to buy a house, right? I want a partnership. I want to feel beautiful. I want to develop my talent as a writer. I want, you know, name it, there's endless desires, right? But the thing about considering Pluto and the evolutionary path of desire is what it's like, what kind of journey is motivated by the desire, right? If I have the desire for partnership and say that I'm alchemizing, um, some, you know, negative history with relationship, or maybe I haven't had good examples of that, but my heart, you know, my deep desire is to have that, um, 
mutually enhancing romantic connection, then as I move toward that, there's going to be so many parts of me that are like dying off or shedding and new parts of me that are having to come online. So desire becomes a catalyst for evolution. Desire is essentially from the Pluto perspective, what we are actually doing here. So this Archetype also connects to the underworld. It connects to the unseen, right? So a lot of these things are happening in the plutonic reality under the surface as energetic undercurrents, sometimes things that are taboo socially or things that are taboo to us, things that maybe we have a little bit of shame or a lot of shame about and things maybe that we don't even see fully, like we see them symbolically instead of literally, Right. So sometimes we think we want, say, like um, a particular circumstance, but it's just a symbol. We actually want something deeper. Right. So Pluto is about this process of learning to read between the lines. Welcome to, you know, people who have come in. Feel free at any point to drop your thoughts um, or questions. Pluto and, you know, I love, this is like the Pluto Bible, <laughs> Pluto volume one by Jeffrey Wolf Green. And what I found by approaching the natal chart from Pluto and aspects to Pluto and heavily made it meditating on my own Pluto placement for years is that we start to develop a vocabulary of different ways that the soul moves as an energetic undercurrent within situations. We learn about power dynamics we learn about the ways that we are emotionally manipulative and manipulated. And sometimes, you know, these are not overly nefarious. Codependency is a form of plutonic attachment where I am personally, emotionally so deeply invested in another person's response to my existence that instead of being fully myself or being in touch with my own truth, I've hooked into their energetic system and their emotions and likely I'm going to experience disempowerment or there will be some kind of distortion in the connection. It's not that these things don't happen. Life is messy. The Pluto reality is messy and relationships bring up a ton of these things, right? Things like our relationship with resources can bring this up, right? Where it's like um, money is so psychologically loaded, right? Where it's like um, one, even getting clear about the desire, say, I want to make a living or I want to have enough money to go on vacation. Now, do I have a lot of psychological programs running that say that I'm a bad person or that people that make money are this way and I don't want to be that way? So there's this whole kind of psychological minefield to bushwhack through oftentimes when we lean into a desire, right? But then there's the sense of, well, how do we use the things that we have bonded with, right? So... Um, a teacher one time shared this example of having gotten to a place where she was very financially abundant, but she started to use that financial abundance as a way to like, just pay to have problems fixed. Like here's my credit card, you deal with it. And realizing that that was a psychological way of relating to resources. Um, right. Or it's like, if you have a talent, right? So Pluto relates to magnetism, among other things. 
your talent can be something that you have like a really deep and rich relationship with. It's something that provides a lot of value in your life that you've exchanged for resources, um, something that creates fruitfulness and fruition for you. It can also be a place where maybe you lean on it in a way that's kind of extractive or you're using it in a way that gets kind of murky, right? And so Pluto is about recognizing these little psychological patterns and undercurrents and essentially cleaning them up, not in a puritanical way per se, um, but a sense of like when the energy is murky or the energy is off, it often shows up in the field, right? (laughs) Drew, thank you. Being responsible for the shadow, clean, right? So let me, I want to share some examples at a personal level so I can just like drop in a little bit with it. When I first started to learn about Pluto, it really helped me claim my own experience and my own perception because up until I had the download of this Pluto archetype um, and how it was showing up for me, I was running a pattern where I have this very, you know, magical inner reality. I have a very subjective Um, philosophical perception. And instead of actually holding that and sharing it with a certain level of self-authorship and confidence, there were many ways where I was looking for people around me to hold it with me, to believe me, right? And so I had this spiritual awakening when I was 21. And due to a dream I had, I decided to speak all the time without filter because a dream told me that it would set me free. And it was actually like a huge disaster in the moment and maybe just the right thing for my soul development. But it resulted in me um, receiving like psychiatric intervention from my parents because the things I was saying didn't make sense. And after I was confronted with the absolute cataclysm of my own family thinking that I was, you know, ill, insane, if you will, because of the things that I was saying um, and that no amount of arguing could get me out of the situation. I tried to, you know, the more even that I shared about my perspective, the more I tried to validate the magical experiences I was having to my parents, to the psychiatrist, the more it just did me in, the more it was incriminating. So for me, that opened up a huge soul library, perhaps of other past lives where I had been persecuted for my language, persecuted for my words, not believed, right? And that kind of pain point of that. But I saw, you know, as I was able to dive into the situation self-reflectively and with the help of studying evolutionary astrology, that the downfall for me, one of them, was needing to be believed. And I have Pluto in the ninth house, okay? So that way of like, I could have just been having a private, magical, mystical experience and held it or maybe shared it with people that would receive it. But the way that I was wanting to get my parents to see things the way that I saw it, the way that I wanted to change their minds, persuade them of my vision of reality, like that was some shadowy stuff. And it hit me, kind of like put me in this cataclysmic situation. That's another way that Pluto works is that it will bring us these kinds of cataclysmic, intense um, awakenings or experiences or more gradual forms of evolution. And the intense, the cataclysmic ones often come from 
uh, avoidance or resistance built up, right? Like say a person um, enters a marriage because that's, you know, what they believe that they should be doing. Like people get married, this person's fine enough, you know, and they see some red flags or things that maybe they don't like about the person, but they're like, whatever, right? And then the years pile up and the particular personality patterns or crises of the relationship become increasingly intense or loaded um, because the original kind of seed point of that crisis, and my face is a little bit bright, so I'm just going to lower the window. That's better, right? So this kind of cataclysmic situation can build due to avoidance, due to not looking at our stuff, right? Or like the person that has an artistic project brimming within them, and it's part of their sole purpose to, you know, be a creative and to share their work, but they keep um, kind of stuffing that personal creative power they have into some jobs or into some distracting situations that they really don't want to be in, but it's keeping them from that creative thing. And so that pressure, that compression can sometimes then be explosive, right? And the difference then with a more gradual evolutionary process with Pluto is that same person with that artistic energy within them going to a trade school or like an art school or something to facilitate that particular creative vision or that they're making the time and space in their day for that creative process so that, yeah, they're leaning in slowly in this way that's titrated as opposed to putting their soul on the back burner and then having it get bigger behind the scenes in a way that feels confronting at some level when it finally kind of blows up or gets bigger in size. So a lot of these little kind of dynamics of Pluto energy undercurrents, power dynamics, I find that the longer that I've been sitting with Pluto, the more that Sometimes it feels comical to me to kind of like look at how I might appear and be like, yeah, I'm a Pluto devotee. I don't know how intense I might seem. I think that there's ways that I used to be more intense um, in ways that were not like, say, more repelling instead of magnetic. And a lot of my Pluto work has been learning how to unravel some of these, you know, internal pieces of angst, these ways that I've been disempowered in victim consciousness, giving my power away to other people or situations unnecessarily. So working with Pluto over time, things become a lot cleaner and a lot subtler. It's not just, you know, getting all like off on the intensity of this like God of the underworld kind of archetype. Okay. So any thoughts or questions about Pluto, let me know. I'm going to start going into the lunar nodes a little bit. So Pluto archetypally in the natal chart, by sign, by house, it actually matters. There has been an idea for some years that Pluto is generational, it's not personal, it doesn't really matter what Pluto's doing in your chart. Not true. Pluto is also individual, right? It speaks to the quality of your desire nature. And there are generational trends, generational Pluto trends, but it is falling in a house 
And even, you know, for me, Pluto and Scorpio, that is very real for me at a personal level, even if I share that with a generation. So Pluto, bottom line of the chart, desire nature, why you're here, what compelled you to exist, right? The metaphor that I like to use for this too is that if someone gave you the opportunity right now to just go straight to nirvana, leave behind this mortal coil, leave behind all your struggles, uh, and just go straight to like being one with the universe, would you, you know? Uh, I think maybe in moments of despair or like hopelessness, someone might be like, yeah, like give me that. But for the most part, a lot of us are going to think about our families or our loved ones or some project that we're working on that we still care about or simply our desire to keep existing. And so Pluto is that will to persist, will to power, wanting to incarnate and be here and go deeper and deeper into life. It is also, however, the resistance patterns that we have around having a desire, but not feeling like we can have it. We're feeling shame that we have that desire or not feeling worthy. And so we're on that kind of Pluto path, but there's a lot of alchemy and kind of um, transformation that's going to happen along the way. But I find that working with Pluto does help with clarity around this process so that we can just get right into the game of it. So then the lunar nodes, these are, you know, I'm just going to say what it is astronomically and feel free to just like let that go because it had taken me a few years to like really like sink into it and see the astronomical side. But essentially the moon orbiting around the earth, okay, there's two points where the moon's orbit around the earth intersects the earth's orbit around the sun, the ecliptic. And it gives us a north and south node of the moon. The moon relates to our rhythms, um, our bodies in this lifetime. The lunar nodes relate to ego structures and personality patterns that we've taken on in prior lives to facilitate our soul's desire, right? The vehicle for our soul's desire, as well as the trajectory, the dharmic trajectory, what kind of vehicles are relevant to our soul's desire in this lifetime. Now, it's complex. We sometimes say the south node is the past and the north node is the future. That is often the case in some sense, but you might have planets square the nodes and both nodes still matter. You're not trying to just leave behind the past of the south node and move all toward the north node. But starting to gain this mapping, which is something I go deeper into teaching in the evolutionary astrology intensive um, takes time to sit with the nodes and understand them in the natal chart. The map essentially is getting a perspective of what are these familiar vehicles that my soul has incarnated into personality patterns? And how do those personality patterns have a weather pattern of their own? For example, I often will talk about, say, Aries South Node, right? And a person who maybe has past lives where their vehicle to fulfill their plutonic desire nature had something to do with the Aries archetype. So they're very familiar to Aries personality patterns. Personality conditions the ego, conditions the circumstances that we have, conditions our identity, conditions how people respond to us and the circumstances that come our way. 
and it becomes a paradigm of its own. So someone with an Aries South Node or South Node in the first house has maybe that kind of warrior-esque, kind of like assertive, um, you know, the individual taking on the elements or taking on the challenges. And that echo of a past life kind of way of being shows up in this life where a neutral circumstance comes up, not to mention the repository of past life karmic circumstances, but let's just go with neutral. And the Aries South Node person reads it as combat, as a threat, as a way that Aries might have that natural kind of defensiveness, react to the neutral situation as though it was a threat, create conflict. Now conflict is constellated and now the personality structure of the past has been vivified, brought up again in the field, reincarnated once again. So we can see how the South Node, while it may come with gifts, and it often does, um, it's things that we've developed over many lifetimes, also represents a certain limitation for the soul. I have South Node in Cancer, for example, and so there's a way that, um, you know, I was blessed in a lot of ways growing up to have safety and to have um, enough resource, enough protection within my family unit to develop things like I'm a tender being. Okay. <laughs> like I had time hours on end to write, like to read and write and imagine. And so I have this lush cancerian inner world. Right. And that is great for me, but learning about how to step into the Capricorn North node, it was like learning that, okay, I have this inner world, but how can I like be a person in the world? How can I leave the home? How can I leave the comfort zone? And so getting the assignment, getting the download that, yeah, there's these things I want to accomplish in life. There's these desires I have, and my North Node in Capricorn has something to offer me to get there. People, you know, the North Node has this kind of aspirational quality to it, and I definitely had gone too far at some point going so deep into Capricorn North Node of like, I have to leave behind Cancerian things only to find after, you know, years of being along this path that you don't escape, you don't ditch the South Node. You just learn how to work with it differently and how to balance out the intensity of the inertia of the past, right? So a person that has a lot of, let's go to Libra South Node they have a lot more personality patterning around relationality and harmony and being in connection, right? So where you have that Aries South Node person that's like doing their own thing and can like assert themselves almost to an excess, the Libra South Node person might be so prone to being a serial monogamist who is always kind of identified based on their relationships and they don't know what they want, right? And so having these situations come up in life where it's important for them to lean into their autonomy and their individuality and to emphasize some of those Aries traits. The lunar nodes, what else do I want to say about them? They are represented in the Vedic mythology by a dragon, right? So we have the tail of the dragon as the south node, and then the north node as the head of the dragon. And the south node, one of my favorite ways to kind of conceive of this 
And this was offered to me by an astrologer, Rosie Finn, some years back when I asked her to tutor me about the nodes. Um, but she gave me this beautiful image that the south node, you know, is the tail of the dragon. And so you have this windy, sweepy energy and all of this debris from the ground layer is like brought up into the air. The south node often relates to in the natal chart, some conditions of the first 30 years of our lives, the first energetic of our life pre-Saturn return, when we begin to crystallize more into our autonomous, you know, nature in this lifetime. And so there's kind of like a karmic repository nature of the south node where it kicks certain things up. And once these things are up in the air, we can renew our lease on those karmas, you know, grab onto them in some sense and do something with them, or we can let them go, right? Like they're up in the air, but we let them settle down. People often want the thing related to their south node. And there's an interesting energetic that you can move. If you move toward the north node, it often helps you with the south node. So for me, cancer, what have I wanted my whole life? Deep emotional connection with people, intimacy, um, the sense of like family, chosen family. And I found myself earlier in life feeling quite isolated, feeling um a little bit like emotionally disconnected, like not fully nourished. And I had this deep vision, this inner prophecy that if I develop my skills, if I develop my excellence, Capricorn, then I can be a person in the world. Then I can attract like a beacon, the people that I'm meant to connect with. And surely enough, that has been the case for me. I feel like I didn't grow up seeing people all around me that I wanted to be in deep emotional rapport with. I felt a little bit alone, but I worked with, you know, worldliness or putting myself out there to then meet people who have now come into my life. And now I feel that deep Cancerian connection to them, right? So there's many different ways that this plays out. We can find different interpretations and permutations of the nodes. With evolutionary astrology, Entering the natal chart, we're starting at the basic desire nature as represented by Pluto, looking to Pluto by sign and house and aspect for some of this information of like, what is at the root of your energetic imprint? And then seeing how that's filtered into or been accomplished through the nodes and how you're still in the arc of continuing that. Not just the nodes, but the planetary ruler of the lunar nodes. So for me, the moon and Saturn, because I have Cancer Capricorn nodes. Um, and as far as the head of the dragon, right, for the north node, there's this sense that the north node, like Pluto, is hungry to exist, right? Like Pluto is that deepening into the body, deepening into having jumped into this experience, deepening into investment, like giving a fuck about being here, being interested in relationship and energy exchange, as opposed to just wanting to transcend. You know, one can have a desire to transcend, but think about that, the paradox of that too, where it's like, I desire to be desireless. <laughs> like there's still that desire energy going into it. Um, Pluto is successively finding that way of being in a clean relationship, an intentional relationship, a laser-like precise relationship with what we actually want, cutting through a lot of the um, 
ways that we get emotionally hooked or emotionally attached and ways that disempower us or siphon our energy. But then the North Node is like the personality vehicle, right? So if you wanted to, you know, I often think about the personality as being a little bit superficial, right? Like the soul is deep. The soul is like, has been siren calling you through your dreams and fascinations for your whole life. Like it's, it's deep. Okay. (laughs) And there's a way that at the personality, we can create a rapport with that, or we might have avoidant patterns where we abandon and run away from ourselves that we don't claim that deeper part of ourselves because it feels too powerful or too scary. Right. Um, but the personality is superficial, Right. So the personality can be experimented with. And I think a lot of personal development, if you're going into deep ceremony or you're doing these deep alchemical workings, you're working at a soul level. Right. If you're working with desire, if you're working with kundalini or sexual energy, you're often working at a soul level. Personality is like when we learn new communication skills that help us be better in our relationships. Personality is like when I learn that I'm asking other people to do things for me that I could probably figure out myself and I should try to work out problems myself before outsourcing them for a minute. Personality is um, making small talk with people instead of being all furtive and scared when I'm out in the world, right? Like personality are these small, almost superficial adjustments. But when we put them in a conversation in the natal chart with the soul, it opens up this really beautiful meditation where it's like, yes, you want something very deeply. Pluto's telling you about that. But the nodes hold some keys as a simple archetypal vehicle to being in deeper rapport or deeper relationship with the soul. And it might not be something that you'd readily expect or imagine, but often when we get in touch with this information or this kind of interpretation, it feels deeply familiar, right? It feels like a a bell, like ringing us back to a place that, yeah, I know this, but something about the clarity of it the mythic language of it reifies it for us. So I'm going to pause here and see if anyone has any questions or thoughts. Someone asked, do you look at the house or the house sign more when you were looking at the nodes? The house, not like the the sign that's the cusp of the house, but yeah, like my north node is in Capricorn in the 10th. It's a little bit repetitive and whole sign it would be north node in Capricorn in the 11th. Okay, I appreciate the shares here about your personal placements, but I'm looking for questions um, about the kind of like system or cosmology as a whole. Can you say more about how Pluto weaves in with the nodes? So Pluto 
is that deeper soul level undercurrent. The nodes have a quality of well as being kind of like deep or maybe like a little bit behind the scenes, but they are so much more connected to the personality per se. Um, and working with Pluto on the lunar nodes and the weaving of them, I think is actually really about this process of getting in right relationship between the soul and the personality. Um, you know, we'd think that those things are connected, but they're not always right. Like the soul might really want something and the personality might be running a program that's counterproductive to the desire nature of the soul. And to be able to have that inner conversation, that reflection of our various kinds of parts to know what we desire. And then, well, what's this way that we're going about, say, like getting it? And why are we trying to like get it? Because <laughs> Pluto is actually very um, in of itself will relate to this process where we become more magnetic and more empowered and less extractive, less grabby, less manipulative. Um, and when we are in that disempowered state with Pluto, say we want something really badly and we aren't fully in approval of that desire and we haven't figured out, you know, there's a desperation, like Pluto can be really desperate. Like, let's be real about that. And I also, you know, I know this experience well too, of like being very Plutonic, having a lot of aspects to Pluto and times where I want something so badly, but I don't feel like I can have it or I feel disempowered. Like I know that feeling very well. And it's always the beginning of some kind of alchemical soul journey because, um, you know, we can give in to a part of the story where things are just futile, right? And maybe there are genuine moments of like the death stage of things and like letting a desire go, something that we wanted really badly um, and just recognizing it's come to an end. But sometimes we do that prematurely where it's not actually true, where it's like, I guess love isn't for me in this life or like, it's just not in the cards for me to, you know, have my basic needs met. And that way of like, just kind of collapsing into that disempowerment versus finding the deeper little hooks, the places that we've built programs or kind of like someone said something to us when we were younger and we like took it in as fact and have developed this, this hooking or this kind of attachment to that information, right? Or like we're putting ourselves in situations or allowing certain things in our life because it fits with the paradigm of what we feel we can have or what we're worth. Like, those are all kind of like these energetic undercurrents and to start to deconstruct those and think about them a little bit more and develop the kind of soul level choice of where we are investing energy versus where we're divesting energy. Then we get into that language more of like empowerment, how that then would connect with the nodes is just thinking about how the ego structures that we're letting go and letting die are in service to the soul and how ego structures that we are adapting because the ego isn't just something that needs to be totally obliterated. It's okay to have an ego, but where personality and ego structures that we're adapting and taking on are actually in deep relationship with the soul. 
How do you delineate planets square the nodes and the difference between the north and south bending? So for planets square the nodes, that represents a major impasse at a soul level. And it's one of my favorite things to delineate. And it does set up a dynamic where the north and south node have both been accessed in prior lives. It's not just the south node. Um, and there's been a ping pong kind of pattern between extremes of the nodes and the planet or planets where the nodes have not fully been integrated. This is something that I've delineated um, at a lot more depth in a video series on YouTube that can be found on my channel. Um, but the way that I delineate that in general is to look at what is the energetics of someone flipping between extremes of the nodes and how has that left the planets squaring the nodes at some kind of seesaw crisis. And this type of delineation actually takes a lot of creativity and imagination. It's not, um, it's something that you, you can see in people's lives and you can see in yourselves, but I, it's something that I've noticed in my own practice and in people studying evolutionary astrology takes a minute to click in, but you're essentially looking at, you know, the, then the working process of like those planets square, the nodes kind of integrating more into the lunar nodes is about balance between the lunar nodes. So I can use my own chart as example where I have my Cancer Capricorn nodes in the 4th and 10th with Mercury, Venus, and Pisces in the 1st. Square them. Mercury and Venus in late Pisces, Cancer Capricorn in early Cancer Cap, or the nodes in early Cancer Cap. And it's played out in so many different ways that um, it's really helped to track it <laughs> over the years. But one of the things that I've learned about Cancer Capricorn going to extremes is the sense of a really strong emotional nature, nature in Cancer and a really strong repressor in Capricorn. So having all these emotions, but then not approving of them and making them smaller. And then in that compacted process, having something explosive happen, you know, like the... Um, what has been repressed comes out in an explosive way and then reacting with shame of, I can't believe I was so explosive. So my Mercury Venus in the first house in Pisces, pretty boundaryless, right? <laughs> and so I've had different times where uh, I think my speech and like the way that I think is a little bit zany and I can go all over the place and it's like channeled or like, you know, can go in all these directions. And if I'm just free with it and I just spill out cancer and I don't necessarily feel self-respect Capricorn with what I'm doing, but I just feel like, oh, whatever in the moment. Then later it's like, oh, I can't believe I said that. And like that kind of judgment process. And I've really had to learn how to balance cancer and Capricorn by having strategic timing Capricorn at how I reveal things in my inner world, but also doing a lot of like inner work about deconstructing shame in the first place. Right. But for the time before learning that as well, it was just about timing. And I've seen this show up with Cancer Capricorn nodes squared people like Britney Spears has those nodes squared. And there's often themes of like overprotective families like Capricorn, that kind of sense of restriction. And then in the home, Cancer, 
Britney Spears definitely has had that with the conservatorship. Um, and, you know, just seeing also the way that she expresses now, like everyone is so much more like receptive and supportive of her speaking her mind. Um, but she does speak very freely in a kind of way that earlier in life, I don't think was as safe and was something that was restricted a little bit more. Um, I don't think I'm going to get to nodal returns and squares and oppositions here. Yeah, so I just have, um, I have five of them. I haven't done Virgo Pisces and 612th, but all the other nodal squares um, are on my YouTube series uh, where I explore, you know, going to extremes. I'll give another example of like, let's do um, Aries Libra right? As nodes. And I, I talked about those nodes earlier, but if we have the Aries Libra nodal pattern of going back and forth, you have someone that, you know, is very like, say independent, doing their own thing, like off having these adventures. And then, you know, through being alone, eventually there can be this extreme of then wanting relationship and having been alone for so long, not really having a lot of practice in relationship, jumping into relationship, it becoming very codependent. And then this feeling of being like too involved. And then this anger of like, I have to leave and then going and being single again. And this kind of ping pong between Aries and Libra, where the real integration would be having a sense of one's sovereignty and autonomy and capacity to be in relationship with their impulses and instincts in connection as a form of harmony, as opposed to being very on their own, then very enmeshed and getting angry and needing to be away and then being lonely and needing to be together, right? And so finding a way to balance those polarities. What I find... Um, with teaching evolutionary astrology is that the polarities, Aries, Libra, Taurus, Scorpio, Gemini, Sagittarius, etc., become crucial for understanding everything in this system because we're really looking at the balance of opposites and the ways that when we're leaning very heavily on one or vacillating and kind of ping-ponging between extremes, that those create these karmic weather patterns that takes time, you know, and when when we get to study it, it's like this magical language that helps unwind it. But when we're just in that vacillation pattern, it's really extreme and it, it can be difficult to see how we're participating in creating these karmic patterns because of these extremities, right? And Pluto, if we want to use a word for it as well, is extreme and intense. It's a part of our soul that's like, I want this thing so badly that I'm willing to do things to get it and to realize what that desire nature is, accept it, soften, find a way to find more empowerment in it, find more magnetism in it. It really becomes a meditation for working with the chart of identifying your deep and challenging and highly erotic material in this lifetime. And then coming up with like mental and emotional frameworks around supporting and being behind and being in connection with those things as opposed to resisting it and like being in this inner turmoil with yourself. So I think I will take a few more like reflections or thoughts um, and close it for here. I just want to um, take a moment to talk about the intensive. We're beginning 
May 2nd, April 29th is the last day. And um, last day to enroll, I mean. It's going to be going through September. And it is a live course. We do meet every week um, to talk about the material. The modules themselves are pre-recorded, so you can watch them on your own time. And then we meet live to talk about it and to connect with each other. So we form like a discussion group around it. And I'm really available to talk to you about the material and how you're integrating it with your own chart. I think that that personal connection and community is so important for learning. That's how I did it. And so that's how I offer teaching astrology. Um, but the pre-recorded content itself, you know, are these transmissions and students in the past have expressed, you know, the gratitude that they come back to them time and time again, that they are like anchor points for connecting with the archetypes and the planets. And I do use porphyry. Um, this course is linked in my profile you can find it there. You can read student testimonials. Please also reach out if you have you know, questions or thoughts about how this might connect to your personal goals or your learning journey. I'm happy to talk to you about that also. Um, yay, I'm excited that you're excited for this course. I'm, you know, I love teaching this. I feel like I'm kind of like at this gate of like, come on, let's talk about Pluto on the lunar nodes. It's this um, way of looking at charts that I've been in really deep devotion to and embodiment of for some time now. And I think it's really the ways that it's given me life and like helped me just transform so much and let go of a lot and kind of like undo addictive or compulsive patterns and like step into a deeper realization of my grounded empowerment, um, my grounded beingness, my magnetism, um, my capacity to like unwind knots at a soul level. It's just so beautiful and so like, I'm just in awe of it, this lineage, this wisdom school. So I'm excited to have another cohort um, and go on this journey again, starting May 2nd. Thank you for those of you that are here, for anyone who's tuning in to the recording. Um, let's see. I'm having Pluto transit my son and square natal Pluto and definitely resonate with becoming a Pluto priestess person. Yeah, those Pluto transits, those personal Pluto transits do not leave us unscathed. <laughs> I learned a lot about myself and the struggles I was going through during the course. It made me deep dive into self-reflection. Highly recommend it. Yay. I'm so glad to hear that. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're tuning into the recording as well, feel free to leave comments um, on your thoughts. And I look forward to seeing some of you in the intensive. For listening, go follow the link in the show notes to Dragon of the Moon and Evolutionary Astrology Initiation to apply. I love the communities that form the most intelligent, deep, sincere beautiful people come study with me um yeah it's always profound and I just am so 
so touched every time that we kind of build this over the internet campfire, like talking about talking about these themes together. You know, if, if you imagine the people that are drawn to study Pluto and to like really, really inquire into the nature of the soul, it's going to be an interesting, magical bunch of people. Um, yeah, I'm already really excited about the group that's forming, the people that I've talked to so far and who have enrolled. Um, so please apply before February 9th. Um, I forget when I said the deadline was, but I was asking for people to come in before February 9th. I, I think the deadline's a little bit later, um, but earlier is best. And the application, there's now just one application, which includes people who are seeking scholarship. Um, if you experience financial hardship or live in a third world country or, um, you know, also I extend scholarship to um, BIPOC. You can check out the application um, and there, there's a space to share why you're called to take the program. Um, and if you are asking for financial assistance to um, just briefly explain why. But really let me feel you in the application. Um, there's space to share like what's calling you, share about your astrology practice. Um, and yeah, it's a space to start to get to know you um, if I haven't already been acquainted with you. Um, but even so, I want to know what's drawing you. And I meet with people um, when the application's a fit and we talk more about it. And um, yeah, I like to know what brings you and what your practice is like. So I look forward to hearing from you, those of you that are like ready to dive in. And I'll leave us here. Also, I just want to note that you don't have to already have an astrology practice. The evolutionary astrology initiation, Dragon of the Moon, will support you in starting one um, and finding your footing in that so that you're able to have a practice. So don't let that discourage you from applying. Um, when I say your practice, um, it's like I really should explain what I mean by that because some people that do come to study with me have been studying astrology for a while um and some are just beginning right or like you um you could be at any kind of different level it is an all levels program so it's more more than your practice if you don't have one it's about your desire to learn astrology um and your relationship to it and and yeah, I just want to hear about you and like what interests you in the program and what's drawing you to contemplate the soul. Anyway, now I will leave you to the rest of your day and I'll see you on the podcast again soon. Bye.